Please take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 5. You know, uh, it's really important that we are thankful as a people, and it's really important that we watch our words, Uh, not only because of our own relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, but also because of our children. And you don't stop teaching your children how to speak at the age of five, six, seven, eight, whenever you think they speak well. Uh, We continue to train our children how to speak, even as they get older, because there's a lot of influence from the world that will encourage them in an evil way. The Bible says one sinner can cause much harm. I was driving down the road with some of my grandchildren, and one of my grandchildren used a horrible four-letter word in a very cavalier way. And I thought, I was driving, I go, did he just say what? (laughs) And I'm driving a little bit further, and he said it again in a sentence, and it was out of place. He wasn't angry, he just, and I turned, he was one of my younger grandchildren. She or he, I don't give it away, you know. And I said, hey, do you even know what that word means? And was clueless. And I said, where did you learn that word? And, well, he heard it at, at a practice by one of the kids. He just thought it was, oh, praise the Lord. I see Peggy here, or Kenny over there, and, and is anybody else from Idaho? We've had a, it's good to see you guys, Kenny. We love you guys. We've been seeing them lately. They came out uh, just a few days back. And uh, since there's been a rash of murders in Idaho, as you know, there's been an exodus from Idaho, and a lot of these folks are coming back, which is good to see, you know. Uh, not, not true, not true. Okay, they're here for a funeral. We had a beautiful funeral yesterday celebrating uh, Kenny's and John's, uh, William's uh, little brother passing on who received Christ before he passed. Amen. He used his mouth correctly, confessed Jesus Christ as his Lord. The name of this message is Stop Cussing in the Name of Jesus Christ. And that's kind of a double entendre when he came up with that. Stop cussing in the name of Jesus Christ. I mean, in the name of Jesus, man, do everything to God's glory. You're supposed to do everything to God's glory, amen? You're supposed to do everything in love, the Bible says. But actually, it's a double entendre because it's not only a warning in the name of Christ, stop cussing, if you're a cussing Christian. Those are like misnomers, by the way. It's like a murdering Christian or a drunk, drunkard Christian or a homosexual Christian or whatever. Those certain words that don't fit together. Cussing Christian doesn't fit. And if that's part of your lifestyle, I love you and I speak to you in love, but I'm praying that the Holy Spirit will convict you to drop bad words from your language, miss inappropriate words from your language, because it grieves the Holy Spirit, and it grieves the heart of God. And we want to talk about giving thanks instead, and that was last message on Wednesday, but I want to talk to you about, especially, I mean, in in light of bringing your young people up, you're an example, amen? And also, if you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit lives in you. You don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit with language that hurts his heart. He's holy and pure, amen? So I want to talk to you about this, and I want you to begin by going to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 4. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 4. And this talks about giving thanks, and I really encourage Christians, don't just be thankful on thanksgiving, amen, and complain like they did, and then murmur and whine like they did in the wilderness when God shut them out of the promised land which is, by the way, a picture right here in Ephesians 4 and 5. Most miss it. Almost every commentator I've seen in Ephesians misses it. When Paul is talking about not grieving the Holy Spirit in chapter 4 and not, uh, you know, using perverse language but building each other up instead and watching our filthy talk, he says, you know, those who, you know, do these things will not inherit the kingdom of Christ, not to be deceived, But when he says, don't be deceived, or I should say, let no one deceive you with vain words. And he says earlier, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. He's quoting Isaiah in the Old Testament, and where Isaiah, I think it's chapter 61, if I remember right, and where Isaiah says, they grieved the Holy Spirit of God, and God became their enemy, and he kept them out of the promised land. 
So there's some serious things that we might think aren't a big deal, but when the Israelites became upset, angry, and they're murmuring and complaining, instead of giving thanks to the Lord that they were delivered from Pharaoh's hand, that instead of being del- that they were delivered from slavery, that they're on their way to the promised land, that they're getting supernatural manna, even though it tasted pretty much the same, like honey bread or something, they're getting tired of it. Instead of being thankful, they started complaining and murmuring, and that became a serious thing before the Lord. In fact, he wiped many of them out, and Paul says those things were written as examples so we wouldn't fall in the same way that they fell. Amen? That's serious stuff to be a thankful person and to stop cussing and being angry and using bad words in the name of Jesus Christ. And when I say a double entendre, some people believe it's okay to cuss and use bad language, and they do it in the name of Jesus. Ministers do it from the pulpit, trying to be hip and cool and fit in, and then they try to justify it, okay? And it should not be this way, brothers and sisters. In Ephesians 5.4, it says... And there must be no filthiness and silly talk of coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather what? Giving of thanks. In other words, the words, there's words that we shouldn't be using, but there's also words we should be using instead of the words we're sometimes using, right? And we should be using words of thanksgiving. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12, I believe it's around verse 36, that every idle word that we speak will come into judgment before God. If an idle word will come into judgment before God, how much more evil words, bad words, perverse words, destructive words. That's, it's important, guys, that we get this down. And you know what? Everybody struggles with getting upset at times, uh, uh, being disappointed, being hurt, you know. And we have to watch our hearts. We have to watch our, our mouths, you know. I mean, uh, last week, a few days back, uh, my wife locked me out of the front door. Not on purpose, but on accident, and I couldn't get in, you know. I'm knocking, and she opens up. Then I was in the backyard with an hour later, and she locked the back door, locked me out of the back door. I thought, I think I'm getting the message here, you know. <laughs> I knew she didn't do it on purpose because I didn't see her in the house when I walked out, out in the backyard, and uh, she was in the backyard doing some uh, gardening or whatever. And, uh, and, but both times, you know. I made sure I didn't use any bad language. I just kicked the door really hard. No, I didn't do anything like that. I kind of chuckled. I chuckled because I've done that to her so many times. She rarely does that to me. And I thought, she did it to me twice within an hour. She's teaching me a lesson, you know? Because I'll just, you know, when you go in outdoors, I just lock them. And I got to make sure someone's out there. So I'm the really, I'm the bad guy when it comes to locking her out. <laughs> but, you know, but instead of, you know, getting angry, you have understanding. The Bible says a man of no understanding, you know, vents his temper. But we of all people on earth should have understanding that we deserve to be in hell, amen? That even when we go through bad things, the Lord promises that he works all things together for the good. For those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Do you really believe that? Then you can believe that when you're in a traffic jam or someone cuts you off or, or your wife locks you out of the house or whatever it is, God's gonna use it for the good somehow, amen? Do you really believe that? No, do you believe that? Like maybe with traffic and things, you know, when people stab you in the back, that's hard. But you wanna, the Bible says to be thankful in all circumstances. Why? How? Because we want to glorify God. Because we've been redeemed. Because he uses our circumstances to make us like gold and give us opportunity to give him glory and show forth Jesus in the midst of our experiences. And that, you want to make sure you actually draw a line from those scriptures to your life and say, hey, when I'm in a tough circumstance and I get cut off or someone's mean-spirited to me, pray for those who persecute you, Jesus. And you have treasure in heaven, amen? Pray for them. And don't return evil for evil, amen? But return kindness, return love. In all things, we're supposed to give glory to God, amen? And this needs to translate into our workplaces, into our homes, into our neighborhoods. And everyone, well, you don't know what, no, all of us go through stuff, amen? Every single person here, myself, all of us go through things where your heart breaks because of people that are not necessarily godly or walking in righteousness or seeking Christ or people that are brothers and sisters that are immature or whatever, or have a bad day, or it's you, you know? You wake up on the wrong side of the bed, you don't seek the Lord the way you ought, and you're grumpy. You have to watch your heart. And, you know, it's important that we watch our hearts because it's easy, easy to vent. I was reading about a man who, a pastor, he came up to a boy because the boy looked really discouraged sitting by his lawnmower, and it was an old lawnmower, and he had this really nice bike, he pulled up the little boy. He goes, hey, he just wanted to be really gentle. How about I trade you my bike for your lawnmower? And the boy said, big eyes. Okay. 
and he traded them. He saw him a few days later, and the man said, I think you got the better side of that deal. That lawnmower will not, huh, will, not, will not start. I cranked it over and over again. It won't start. He goes, you got to cuss it. He goes, you got to cuss it. He goes, I forgot cussing all a long time ago when I became a pastor and became a Christian. He said, just keep cranking it. Eventually, it'll all come back to you, the little boy said, you know. And that's what happens. When people get upset, there's a line sometimes where I would never do that. But you get to a certain line to all of a sudden you're saying things or you're using language or maybe you're just saying hurtful things that you would not normally say. Amen? Well, the Lord always says he gives us a way of escape that we may be able to endure everything that we face. Amen? There's always a way of escape. You never have to sin. Isn't that awesome? I love those promises. There's no temptation that's taking you, but that which is common to man, Jesus, or the word of God says, the word of Christ in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. But with the temptation, God will also give you a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. It says because he's faithful. He's a good God. Amen? So it's important. You know, I also read about a deacon that had a problem with bad language. And it was a bad, t- he had a temper and when he'd get angry, he'd let language out and all of a sudden it started coming out and people started noticing at the church and people went to the pastor and said, you got this guy's a deacon, he's not above reproach, he uses really bad language. The pastor said, you know what, let me, let's give an opportunity. And he, the pastor loved to fish and he knew the deacon loved to fish. So he said, I'm gonna talk to him. He took him out fishing, they're fishing and they're at a lake that the pastor loved to fish at, been fishing there for years. Biggest fish the pastor ever got hooked. He was tripping out. He was like trying to reel it in, being really careful. He didn't know if his test line was strong enough. But got up on the boat, almost a pop, boom, down, lost his fish. He looks at the deacon, he was so angry. He goes, do you want to cuss? He looked at the deacon, he said to the deacon, I think there's something that needs to be said, deacon. You know, <laughs> hoping the deacon would just vent his frustrations. We have frustrations sometimes, and we go through the same things other people do, but it's what you do with your tongue that matters. Amen? It's what you do with what's in your heart. And you ask the Lord, say, Lord, obviously you didn't want me to catch that fish for some reason, you know? Or obviously you've got something better down the line for me. And I think it's important that we understand that not everything works out exactly how we think it's going to work out. Now, when you get to that point where you realize that, and I'm not saying in your head, you have to get in your heart when you go through things, that God does indeed love you. That using bad language and having a, 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 a potty mouth and a potty heart, it comes from a potty heart, it's all linked together, is not a, a, a really uh, good place to be. You know what? Uh, you know, and I read about another little kid and his daddy was like, he, he cussed in class. And the teacher thought he doesn't even know what he's saying. And she said, son, can you please not do that? And he says, my daddy uses that word. He goes, I don't even think you know what that word means. He goes, I know what it means. She goes, what does it mean? It means the car won't start, you know? She's like, no, it means something else, you know? And the kids get confused. They don't even know what these words mean, but they mean, they they associate these words often with what? Anger, frustration. And these words carry a lot of emotion. And then when they become angry, they start using the same types of words later in life. And as Christian parents, we ought to be the best examples to our children. You know, when I used to go to the doctor when I was young, you know, how many of you heard this? You know, one of the first things the doctor says to you, if not the first thing, is stick out your what? Stick out your tongue. Why is a doctor saying stick out your tongue? And I thought that was an old-fashioned thing, man. Anybody ever have their doctor still say, stick out your tongue? Still happens. I see hands going up. And I was reading about this, and I thought, I thought it was an old thing that they didn't do anymore because I haven't had that happen lately. And then I just read about a new diagnostic system reported in the International Journal of Biomedical Engineering and Technology that works to combine the soft inputs, digitally that is, of described symptoms with a digital analysis of an image of the patient's tongue. The digitalized images, it says, of the patient's tongue reveal discoloration, engorgement, enlargement, texture, and other factors that might be linked to illnesses. Smoothness and beefiness might reveal vitamin B12 deficiency, iron or folate deficiency, and anemia. Black discoloration could be indicative of of fungal overgrowth in HIV patients or prolonged antibiotic use. 
Longitudinal furrows of the tongue are associated with syphilis. Ulcers may be indicative of the presence of Crohn's disease or colitis and various other conditions. Hopefully you guys aren't all freaking out. Oh no, I got this, that, the other. Seek the Lord first, then go to the doctor, right? It doesn't work. But I'll tell you what, guys, is I thought that's interesting. The tongue still says a lot in, and they use these things in India and other places that are far-reaching villages and so forth to get early detections of things. And I thought, wow, they still, the tongue says a whole lot about what's going on in the body. And it blew me away when I was reading that because I was thinking, wow, in James chapter 3, it talks about, you know, no man can, only a perfect man can control the whole body. But we all stumble in many ways and no one can perfectly control the tongue. And it's very interesting because guess what? God looks at our tongues. He's the great physician. And our tongues, our spiritual tongues, that is. And what we do with our physical tongues as far as spiritually, how we speak to see if we have a very, very serious situation, and that is heart disease. I'm not talking about physical heart disease. I'm talking about a spiritual heart disease. Because Jesus said, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. Amen? Now, he can see our thoughts as well, but our tongues reveal much. Jesus said in Matthew 12, 34, for the mouth speaks what, is, what the heart is full of. So if you're full of just venom and, and criticizing people and anger and hatred and malice and jealousy and perverse speech, there's a lot of things going on in your heart. You need to be either, either be born again or come back from a vaccinated state because you cannot be, I just, I'm, I'm a direct pastor. If you're visiting, I love you. This is the way we are here. Just speak the truth in love. Amen. I love you. Anybody who knows me knows I love you. But at the same time, I love you enough to speak the truth. And I love the Lord to be, enough to be faithful to what his word says. And we have to watch our mouths. And too many professing Christians have potty mouths. And I say professing Christians because I think there's a lot of people complaining to be Christians and their, their, their mouths have never changed since they claim to come to Christ. And I wonder if they've ever been born again, to be honest with you. Other Christians have been born again, truly, but then they allow the world to influence them. Maybe they peer pressure. They want to fit in. They want to be considered cool. They don't want to be considered prude or whatever. They don't want to be considered a square or whatever. They want to just fit in. Well, I'd rather fit in the kingdom of God, amen, than the kingdom of the devil in this fallen world system. Now, so our hearts really matter, and our tongues are connected to our hearts. And when you're, when you're, if you're a parent, when you're parenting, you're, you're encouraging your young people to have right hearts before God, that God looks at the heart. It's not enough to just get your kids to do and say the right things, amen? You want them to know and love God, amen? You don't want to raise a bunch of Pharisees, right? Where they're saying the right things, they're doing the right things, but their hearts are far from God. Jesus says, you draw close to me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me, right? To the Jews who were rejecting him. We want our children to know the Lord. A lot of times the way they talk is indicative of where their hearts are. Pharisees are going to hell just like everybody else. Jesus said, unless you're righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. And they were, and, and there's a saying back in Jesus' day, if there's only two people that go to heaven, it'll be a, one will be a scribe and one will be a Pharisee. And Jesus took that and turned it on its head. Well, how could we be more righteous than them? Because guess what? They weren't born again. And Jesus said to a teacher among the Pharisees, one of the main teachers, if not the main teacher, Nicodemus, you must be born again to enter the kingdom of God. Amen. And as soon as you become born again, you get a new heart. And he takes away that heart of stone, that hard heart of stone, it says in Ezekiel. He gives us a heart of flesh, amen, a soft heart. But if you've claimed to come to Christ, but your heart's hard and you just don't have love for God and people, but you're just going to church, man, you got to get on your knees and say, God, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. Change my heart. And then guess what? Your mouth will change to at least one degree. You won't be perfect right away. I know when I became a Christian, I was a new Christian, and everything just stopped right away. I mean, by the grace of God, that's not normal, but I came in such a hardcore way where I knew Satan was real, Jesus was real, and I better get right, and I feared God, and I hit my knees and cried out to God, and my, my, my bad language, and I had a very, very bad mouth, you know? Uh, not as bad as Peggy and Kathy's, and no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I only joke like that when it's usually the opposite, right? Mine was worse, I'm sure, than all of theirs, you know? I was just... Bad mouth. And you know what? That changed, but guess what? Didn't change right away. All of a sudden, I, I, was, I had a playful, quick wit. And sometimes that quick wit would come off in an off-color way, even though I didn't use a bad word, you know? And it would be funny. I'm like, convicted. Oh, man, I shouldn't have said that. Anybody else ever had that experience? 
You sure? I mean, I've had it several times as a new Christian. I mean, it wasn't all the time, but it was times where I was just convicted. And God was showing me, he was, I was, my heart was being grieved. Joe, even though you're not using bad language, that's just over the line a little bit. And I don't want to be one of those guys that gets close to the line or over the line. I want to, you know, and I'm still not perfect. But my wife knows me. She knows I don't use bad language. She knows I, I love her. She knows I, I try to stay away from crude jesting and so forth. And, but every once in a while, we gotta be, I got to be careful. So I'm not like, oh, I've arrived. No, I try to be hyper uh, uh, vigilant on these things, you know. And still the Lord speaks to my heart, but it grieves me. I can grieve myself at times, and I get grieved by sometimes others, and sometimes I'll speak up, sometimes, you know. We had a funeral here uh, yesterday, and the guy used a couple choice words, not the F word and S word and stuff like that, but, you know, one of the guys at the end when he was sharing, it was the last person sharing, so I could have said, hey, next time anybody else shares, you know, try not to use bad language. You know, he did a couple times, it was like grieving. But I figured, you know, I'm going to try to give the salvation call. And if I just all of a sudden, it's not appropriate to fix that right now because it's not going to fix it other than telling everybody you need Jesus. I did fix something that was said in the speech and made it, everybody realize we need Jesus, you know. But I'll tell you what, um, we all have to watch our hearts, amen, each and every one of us. It comes out of the heart. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 15, verses 18 through 20. And verse, uh, 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 verse 15 as well. It's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a person. Comes out of your mouth. But the things coming forth from the mouth, from the heart, do come forth, and these defile the man. For out of the heart come forth evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, whoredoms, thefts, false witnessing, evil speakings, evil speakings. These are the things defiling the man. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile the man. That's uh, Young's literal translation there. And we have to make a diagnosis. And I say this because I love you guys. What's my tongue saying? Is it honoring to God? Or does it grieve the spirit of the living God? God addresses language. Now go back up. You're in Ephesians 5. Go to chapter 4. Look at verse 29. It says, let no unwholesome let no, that's pretty absolute, no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for what? Edification. So by way of application, you want to say, hey, am I using words that are destructive, that are unwholesome? Or am I using words for edification? What's an edifice? It's a building. What does it mean to speak words of edification? It means to what? Build up. Are you building people up or are you tearing them down? And one of my parenting messages I'm working on is, is not to uh, belittle or to exasperate your child. And so far, I've come up with 15 different ways that you could exasperate your children. And one, ways is tearing them, one of the ways is tearing them down. Now, I don't want to get into that, get, get in that message, but you want to make sure you're building your children up. That doesn't mean you don't warn them. That doesn't mean you don't discipline them. You need to. Amen? But that means also you don't constantly belittle them and... And, you know, you got to be really, really careful. But we're, and that's the way it is with us, brothers and sisters. We're supposed to be building each other up. Every time you see a brother, you shouldn't be tearing him down and mocking him and making fun of him. Amen? You should be building your brothers and sisters up in Christ. Amen? It says, such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment. In other words, you're being sensitive, you know? You should be around a people. And when you're around a few people, we should all, by the grace of God, say, God, show me. Help me be sensitive to the Holy Spirit of who needs to be encouraged. Amen. It's also being proactive and saying, it's not just responding. It's like, how can I be an encouragement to my brothers and sisters? Amen. How can I say words that will build them up? People go through a whole lot of stuff. Some people are even suicidal in the Christian church and they need big time encouragement. According to the need of the moment, so that it will not, so that it will give grace to those who hear. We want to give grace. God's given you grace. We want to give them grace. Amen. Well, do you realize this person is really hard? Wait, grace is what? God's riches at Christ's expense? Amen. It's giving people what they don't deserve? Amen. You've been given grace by God. You don't deserve it. So you need to be loving to everybody. Amen? Amen? Giving grace to those who hear. Verse 30, do not what? Grieve the Holy Spirit of God. He's the third person to the triune Godhead. Jesus said, the Father, my Father and I will make our homes in your heart. So in some mysterious way, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all live in us. 
That's in Isaiah, or John chapter 16 through 14, or 14 through 16. The whole Trinity, triune Godhead, lives in us, and you grieve the Holy Spirit. It says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. That's a warning. You've been sealed for the day of redemption. They grieved the Holy Spirit, and God didn't let them in the kingdom. You're headed toward redemption. Don't go the opposite direction. Verse 31, let all bitterness, all bitterness, because this is where the evil speaking can come from, and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be what? Put away from you. Stop cussing in the name of Jesus. Put it away from you. In fact, Paul in Ephesians and in Colossians has a lot of put-offs and put-ons, amen? And he, it's, he, he's the picture of clothes and wearing the garments of Christ and putting off evil things that we used to be characterized by as non-Christians and putting on good things. You're supposed to put off bitterness and wrath and anger, clamor and slander. Put it away from you. So if your heart's got bitterness and anger, cry out before God and say, God, I deserve to be damned. Amen? I deserve to be condemned. Have mercy on me. Amen? Have mercy on me and help me put on love and kindness and so forth. Put it away from you, along with all malice. Not some malice, all malice. If you have malice in your heart, put it away. It's sin. Verse 32, be kind. Here's what you put on. Be kind to one another. Tenderhearted. Forgiving each other. Just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Amen? We're supposed to put these things on. Be kind and tenderhearted to people. Amen? Well, they don't de- we don't deserve it. In fact, it's hard for me to think of somebody that we like, well, they don't deserve it. You shouldn't even have that attitude to begin with. And by the way, he goes on to say a little bit later in Ephesians how you do this. One of the ways is he says, a put off and a put on. Don't be drunk with wine, which leads to lasciviousness or licentiousness, leads to sin. That's what drunkenness, all of a sudden you'll say words you didn't say. The Bible talks about that in Proverbs. You'll see things like strange women can lead to hallucinogenic experiences. Don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. And that's why no man could control the tongue. Yeah, but guess what? The Holy Spirit can control her tongue. So if you feel the Holy Spirit, amen? amen? I cry out to God. I've never, ever, by the grace of God, missed a time of crying out to God before I come up and preach because I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I want God to speak to you. Amen? And by the way, I get more edified when I pray too because I'm like, oh, where'd that come from? Thank you, Jesus. I needed that too, you know? So you pray God will use you as you're filled with the Holy Spirit. This is... Uh, very, very important. Look at chapter five. Goes to the very next verse. There's no chapter break. So Paul would have just, Paul just kept going on in his letter. Verse one. Therefore be imitators of God and as beloved children. Imitate God. Do you think Jesus went around cussing up a storm? He think he cussed like a sailor? Absolutely not. We have no record of Jesus cussing at all. We have a lot of his words. You don't see any uh, cuss words. And walk in love. Walk in love. We're supposed to walk in love. Do everything in love. That means the way you speak. Just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and, and, and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. Our word should be a fragrant aroma just as Christ is. Amen? Not a stench in the nostrils of God. Verse, thir- verse 3. But immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. And there must be no filthiness. No filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting, dirty jokes, which are not fitting, but rather what? Giving of thanks. Now, this is so important because notice what Paul says in verse 4. And there must be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting, which are not what? Fitting, but rather giving of thanks. Wow. Now, look at how serious Paul says this is. Verse 5, for this you know with certainty that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. And there's a lot of preachers out there preaching today that you can do all these things that are Paul mentions, you'll still enter the kingdom of God. They're false prophets, they're false teachers, man. And they're all over the place. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not what? Be partakers with them. But I'm a child of light. Doesn't matter. Ooh, watch the next verse. For you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Guess what? If you're a child of light, then walk as a child of light. Because if you walk with the wicked and you try to fit in, 
by making dirty jokes and so forth and, and, and living sexually immoral lives and so forth. Now notice when Paul gives this vice list, he doesn't just talk about behavior, stealing, right? And misusing your sexual aspect of your body in a sinful way. He also talks about joking about these things, right? Joking about and making light of these things as though they're not evil or they're in a cavalier or trivialized way. This is very, very important that we get this. Now, in verse 4 again, and I just think it's very important that we understand this. There not, must not be any filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting, which are not what? Fitting, but rather giving of thanks. There are certain words that just do not fit the Christian vocabulary. And there are certain words that fit the Christian vocabulary in a certain context, but not in a trivialized diminishing context. And I'll get to that in a minute. It's very important that we use our words in a very encouraging way. And that we realize there are certain things that are not proper, that are indecent, that aren't fitting for the Christian vocabulary. And you're going to stick out like a sore thumb. But Jesus said, don't fear man who destroy the body, but fear God who destroy your body and your soul in hell. Amen? We have to fear man, fear God, not man. A lot of people fear man. A lot of professing Christians want to sound tough and cool and they'll use bad language. I'm a man. That's not a man. That's a wimp, man, when you get like that and you're professing Christian. You're professing Christian supposed to be Christ-like. And when you have a hard time being Christ-like because you want to fit in, that's wimpy because you're using, you're catering to peer pressure. Well, I want them to think I'm cool. I want God to think that you love him. Amen. Amen. And I want to truly love him. So a lot of times, guys will use rough, coarse, evil, wicked language because they want to fit in to the, with the crowd. The Bible says don't run with the crowd to do evil. The Bible says bad company corrupts good morals. The Bible says one sinner can cause much harm. Amen? So we also have to watch who our children are hanging out with too. And that they're hanging out with kids that are, you know, constantly cussing and stuff, and it's going to rub off on them. And then they're going to have that peer pressure to try to fit in. So it's important that we, we, we do these things correctly. In fact, it's interesting, that word, by the way, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, Paul says love is patient. He defines love. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast, and it does not act arrogantly or rude, okay? Uh, and that word rude in the King James is translated unseemly, unseemly. Uh, another translation, I think it's uh, the Holman Christian Bible. I wrote that down. It says improperly. Love doesn't act improperly. When you speak improperly, you're speaking words that Paul said don't fit. Unfittingly, if that's a word, right? And I wrote down a bunch of synonyms for that word translated rude in the NASB, unseemly in the King James. Indecent, full, dirty, smutty, immodest, foul-mouthed, dishonorable, indecent, off-color, pornographic, crass, disgraceful, impure, bad taste, in bad taste, raunchy, obscene, dirty, filthy, coarse, vulgar, gross, shameless, untoward, crude, bought body, tasteless, unbecoming, vile, X-rated, lewd, inappropriate. Those are all synonyms, okay? And the Greek has much the same meaning that we're supposed to walk in love. When Paul defines love, he says love is long-suffering. So we don't get upset and start cussing, amen? We say, no, I need to walk in love. And we also need to walk in faith. I need to trust the Lord that he's going to work this out. And even if this is, didn't work out for the good, and, and, and it's for some reason it's going to, because if you love God, it will, you still, it still doesn't give you a license to, to use perverse and wicked speech, amen? And in young people, and even when your children are older, you know, in their teens, and, and then all of a sudden they hit college years, you still need parental guidance and encouragement, amen, to encourage them to do what's right. John Wesley, one of the greatest revivalists, led more people to Christ than just about anybody on the planet, second to Jesus and the Apostle Paul, perhaps, you know, in his, by his time period. Amazing. Uh, he preached holiness, and he preached he, hundreds of thousands of miles by horseback. I mean, crazy, up into his late 80s or so, continued to preach the gospel in the Americas and, and the Methodist movement, the Nazarene movement, Wesleyan holiness movement. A lot of that sprung from his preaching. But you know what? His mom was a godly mother and she encouraged him in holiness even when he got older, when he was 22 years old. Okay, I love the advice that, that John Wesley's mother, uh, Susanna Wesley, had given him. 
And she was called the mother of the Methodist movement because she had such an impact on his life. And she told John Wesley, she said, quote, take this rule. Whatever weakens your reason, impairs the tenderness of your conscience, obscures your sense of God, or takes off your rel the relish of spiritual things. In short, whatever increases the strength and authority of your body over your mind, that thing is sin to you, however innocent it may be in itself. So she's saying, take these things that will make you less like the Lord and less desiring of the things of God, and let that be like sin to you. The Bible says anything not done in faith is sin. Amen? And we have to decide in our own consciences before the Lord based on his word. We have to, our minds have to be captured to God's word. You know, what is appropriate and what is not appropriate. But I love what Paul said in Philippians chapter 5, or Philippians chapter 4, there's no uh, 5. Rejoice in the Lord, verses 4 through 8. Rejoice in the Lord always again. Instead of complaining, murmuring, and whining, like they did in the, when they got wiped out in the wilderness before they got to the promised land, rejoice in the Lord always. Paul's writing this from prison. Well, Paul doesn't know what I'm going through. Paul was in prison between Roman guards and, a, and they weren't the prisons that are, the, the hotels they call prisons today in America where a lot of criminals want to go back to after they get out. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, and I say, Paul says, rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let the request, your request be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now listen to this, verse eight. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, Whatever is pure, is your language pure? Whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, is it lovely? Cussing isn't le lo lovely. Whatever is of good report. You know, even the world looks at bad words. If they, if they think you're, if you're claiming to be a Christian and you're at work and you're using bad words and you're claiming to be a Christian, I can guarantee you they're talking about you behind your back saying, this guy claims to be a Christian, man. He cusses up a storm. And you're, you're compromising your witness. It's not of good repute. Whatever's of good repute. If there is any excellence and anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. Even the world has standards and they recognize certain words aren't appropriate. Oh, you know, they'll do reviews and say, hey, it's the secular world. They don't know Jesus. By the way, there's this many bad words, you know, or whatever. And they recognize that certain words are inappropriate. Could you imagine somebody sitting before a judge? The lawyer starts cussing and stuff. He wouldn't do that. He, the defendant start cussing to the, at the, to the judge and to, he would be held in contempt of court. And these are the secular world. How much more as citizens of the kingdom of God ought we to take stock of how we speak? Amen? And I love you guys. I speak this way because I love you. I know I'm, I'm saying that two or three times now. It's because I know there's certain people probably here and listening and we got thousands of people that look at our stuff uh, that are like, oh man, that's me. Oh, that's me. Don't tune me out, man, because the Holy Spirit, I believe, is speaking to you. And he loves you, and, he's, and this message has come forth to encourage you in righteousness because God wants more of your heart. Amen? Amen? All of us, myself included, I mentioned earlier in the message, every one of us, when we first became a Christian, still had to clean up our, our tongues. Amen? And each and every one of us still has cleanup to do. Amen? Amen? So let's all continue to work toward that end by the grace and the power of God. Wow. So this is so serious. By the way, you know what? The Bible says a lot about cussing. You know, cussing is just a, another way of saying, uh, to cuss is a short word of saying to curse. Cussing and cursing, they're, they're, cussing came from cursing. It's just another way of saying cursing. We talk about cursing and people curse people, right? Curse, they cuss people. Same meaning. Or swearing, a curse, swear words. Get that? It's all cursing, swearing, cussing. It's all the same. Done in different ways. And we have to be very, very careful before the Lord. Now, we don't want to do that which is unseemly, that which is unfitting to fit in. Because once we do that which is fitting into the world and compromising the word of God, we no longer fit in the kingdom. And the Holy Spirit is patient. God's patient. He'll be patient with you. But if you harden your heart and you continue down a dark road, the Bible says, it warns against in Timothy, Paul says to Timothy, watch out for vain babbling, which leads to more ungodliness. So when you start using language, all of a sudden it opens yourself up to other things. And that, that thing in itself is 
not right before the Lord. And there's a lot of pastors right now all over the place that have become, think it's hip to cuss, you know? Was it Mark Driscoll? He was known as the cussing pastor, you know? And he had a huge crowd of people that followed him because he was risque. He'd go over the line, I'd say, man, that's kind of crazy. It's almost, when you look at the word faith, it's almost the more false doctrines you preach, the more attraction you get. And then the more you, you go over the line, people, oh, this, I like this pastor because, you know, he cusses, he's hip. That grieves the Holy Spirit of God. And then he had to step out of the pulpit because I told you these things are associated with other things often. You know? Not saying he's, I think he stepped back in. He was a huge reformed pastor. And then he's re repented of his reformed doctrine, he said. I don't know where his heart's at, you know? But and by the way, speaking of reformed, a lot of the reformed movement, not all of it, thank God, a lot of reformed or Calvinist pastors like to cuss from the pulpit, smoke cigars, drink hard liquor, and we're, look how hip we are. Look how drunk you might be, okay? Hope you don't get mouth cancer. And I hope your heart, cussing like you are, uh, I hope you change your heart and your tongue, you know? If you're doing all that. Well, I'm not doing all that. Well, I'm not talking about you, okay? Because this is sad. And praise God, there's been another, a number of Reformed pastors who have condemned that, that behavior. To, amen? I mean, praise God for that. So it's not all Reformed pastors that are doing that. A lot, of, a lot of them are like, what are you guys doing? But a lot of the young, restless and Reformed are riding that wave, you know? And a lot of that can be dangerous. And I'm, I'm not, if, if someone's not getting drunk, you've heard me say, if someone's not getting drunk, nothing to say, praise God. Except watch out for your example. You could lead other people into getting drunk and that could destroy either them in a wreck or their soul. So you gotta be careful of all these things. In fact, uh, Pastor John Piper, a reformed Calvinistic pastor, he was uh, uh, preaching at one of the, remember the Passion Conferences, big old Passion Conferences? He was preaching at one of them and he used foul language. He used one bad word, you know? And he said something like, you know, God will kick your blank, you know? three-letter word, starting with A, okay? And later on, you know, uh, he got a lot of flack for that, you know? And he came out to his credit and apologized for that. And, uh, but he, uh, he apologized for that. And he said, uh, it was a mixture of a sinful audience titillation, trying to sinfully titillate the audience because it was young people, right? Among other things. And some Reformed people came out and said, I'm, we're glad he apologized, but it sounds like he also acted like it wasn't that big of a deal because after all, he insinuated that there's some bad language in the Bible. Now, it's interesting because he did say, though, I think if I had a do-over, he said, I would not say it. See, I think I, I wouldn't say it. I, that breaks my heart a little bit. On the one hand, I don't like fanning the flames of those who think it is hip and cool to swear for Jesus. That, it seems to me, is immature. That's good, he says that. But it backfires if one becomes unholy to make people holy. I suspect there was too much of the unholy in my heart at that moment, end quote. So I'm glad he said that, okay? I think, again, I think. He's not sure, because as one reform leader says, uh, he, doesn't, he seems to still lack the conviction that it's really wrong, objectively, okay? But Wayne Grudem, who's another heavyweight in the reform movement, one of the most popular reformed systematic theologians, Wayne Grudem wrote to him, he says, he wrote to Piper, and Piper posted this on his Desiring God website, I'm glad you said that now you regret saying it and thankful that you were willing to say this. And I say amen to that. Grudem goes on to write further in this uh, letter, using the words commonly thought to be offensive in the culture seems to be the sort of verbal equivalent of not wearing deodorant and having body odor or going around with spilled food on your shirt all the time. Someone might argue that it's not, that not wearing deodorant or wearing dirty clothes are not morally wrong things in themselves. But my response is that they do give needless offense and cause others to think of us as somewhat impure or unclean. Hey, who's talking back there and missing a message? Just kidding. So I think, well, I guess I'm not kidding. <laughs> Don't talk too much. And by the way, I gotta, I gotta bail Chad out, man. Because Chad, looks at his cell phone a lot. And I said, Chad, I'm gonna let people know that you monitor our online deal. He makes sure there's no cussing. No, I'm sure, he's, I'm sure he does some of that. Hopefully there's not a lot of that, that need to be done. But he monitors what's being said and he, you know, and so forth. So if he's looking down, he's not checking cowboy scores, okay? 
Cal- Chad's a big Cowboy fan, right? He's monitoring. And, and I say that because I think uh, Mark and who else, somebody else came to him and said, man, I'm glad Joe said that a long time ago, a while back it happened, because I thought, why is he always on the phone, man? What's he looking at, you know? And <laughs> they were relieved, you know? So we won't want to be, he's, he's, not, he's not doing that constantly, so... I'm not saying he ever takes a peek at a cowboy score real quick, but hey, I, I don't think so. And if he does, we have mercy and forgive him. Okay. So anyway, he says, I think using commonly, what's commonly thought to be obscene and offensive or vulgar in the culture generally, plus encourages others, if you do those, use that, to act in the same way. So in that way, it brings reproach on the church and the gospel. Okay. And I'm grateful that Piper posted this letter that Grudem wrote to him. But we need to realize how serious this is. In fact, you know what? There's a sister in the fellowship. She's not in our fellowship anymore. She lives in a totally different state. Awesome sister. Still talk to her. My family does. And me once in a bit, bit when we see her. Really awesome gal. But she was seeing a believer from another fellowship, professing believer from another fellowship, and when they were, you know, late teens and, and seeing each other, and she was like, is this the guy kind of thing you're wondering? And, but he cussed, cussed like a sailor. And she went to church with him, to his church, big reformed church, and the pastor used some choice language, which he did once in a while. And after the service, he said to her, well, if a pastor does it, it's okay for me to do it. See what message that sends? And it sends the same message if you're a parent. If you forbid your children to use certain language, but you use certain language, you're being hypocritical. Amen? So as parents, it's important that we guard our mouths. We watch what we say. And it starts with the heart. Lord, give me a heart to just glorify you. To f- we need to fear God. I gave a message a few weeks ago on fearing God a couple weeks back. Amen. We need to fear the Lord. Amen. And we need to be sensitive to the Lord. We need to love him and not want to grieve his Holy Spirit. Amen. Because yeah. he's holy. And this is all very, very important. Everything we're talking about today. In fact, some try to use profane language and justify it by saying, well, the Bible has some profane language in it. Jesus called the Pharisees snakes. Ah, the word snakes in, the, in, the, in that language isn't an evil word, okay? Paul said, do, called people dogs. Yeah, I'll call people snakes if there's somebody creeping in unaware. It's not a bad word, okay? And they'll say, well, in the Old Testament, there's some, a lot of times with the Old Testament words, you can't know and understand if they were bad words because you don't have a lot of background for those words in, in the context in which they were used. So they don't have a lot of, they don't get a lot of ground. But you know one word they use? Scubalon or scubula. And that word they say, that's Paul using that word. Remember Paul said when he was, he was a, you know, a ben, from the tribe of Benjamin, kosher, you know, Pharisee of Pharisees. He says, I count everything in my past as what? Dung, Dung or uh, refuse or garbage. That's what the scubula means or scubalon. Scubula depends on the way you, that word uh, but when you look at the word scubala or scubalon, they say, look, that, that word is equivalent to a really bad word that Paul's using that day. And he's really being powerful by using a bad word to shock them. I've seen that over and over again. They use that to justify it. In fact, John Piper, when he gives his apology, he says, even though the Bible uses some choice language. And this is usually the word they're talking about. And it's quite interesting because uh, Relevant Magazine a popular online professing Christian magazine. I say professing because a lot of their articles are just, it's almost as though they're always trying to get as close to the lake of fire in their boat without burning. Very liberal. So-called progressive, very liberal. In that magazine, they have an article and it says the Greek word skubala is more vulgar than C-R-A-P. As though that's acceptable between you and God, but not in my home. The Greek word skubala is more vulgar than C-R-A-P. Most translations dim it down by using words like rubbish. And it says it's not as bad as S-H-I-T, but it's worse than C-R-A-P, which means trash or excrement or dung, which is more accurate but far less offensive. So he's saying, you know, dung and excrement or rubbish or garbage is far less. So he's saying it should, you know, be used in a stronger way. Now, it's interesting 
Because another one, and it's going to be hard to quote this, so I'm not, but I'm going to say another commentator says this word, scubala, means, and he uses the S-H-I-T word, and he says, and it's used of, and he quotes somebody saying it's used of this word, and it's used of the, the and using that word over and over again, the blankety blankiest of this thing at the bottom of the heap of blank. That's even worse than S-H-I-T. Is it really? Well, it's interesting. Gary Manning, a professor at Biola University, where my son Josiah went for a little while, and some of you, uh, we have Sister Lori graduated there, right? Uh, he writes this, and he says he used to think that. He's a Greek scholar. He writes this. While teaching Greek, I used to say that skubala is the closest thing to a swear word you can get in the New Testament. And I was repeating something that I had heard read uh, quite a few times, that he had read quite a few times. Then listen to what he says. With that in mind, I did a search of two exhaustive databases of ancient Greek literature. He he, he gives us what they are to see if skubala functions as a swear word in Greek. I discovered that nowhere in all of ancient Greek literature is there a clear example of skubala functioning as a swear word or even as a rude word. I could not find a single place where it was used as an insult, invective, curse, or interjection. In fact, the normal use of skubala in ancient Greek scholarly literature makes it almost impossible that it was a swear word. And then he gives all kinds of ancient sources of how the word was used. So no, Paul wasn't using a swear word. He was using a word that could be used of garbage or excrement to get us to understand this is what our old life was before Christ, amen, in all our righteousness, but he's not using that word in a way uh, that was known as a swear word. So dung would be appropriate, okay? Excrement would be appropriate. Rubbish, garbage, those would be appropriate. Now, Paul says as Christians in Titus 2.10 that we're not to be pilfering and not sh- and, and, but showing all good faith so that they will adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior, in every respect. We're supposed to adorn the doctrine of God with our speech. People should be able to see us as reading epistles. They shouldn't wonder where we're coming from or if we have a secret life and we're really perverse deep down. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 7, we read in the New International Version, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. The Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. So people use the words like Jesus Christ. They use the words like D-A-M-N, damn. Now I can show you in the scripture where it says all those who refuse to love the truth will be damned. King James Version, 2 Thessalonians 2. The word damned is not bad in of itself. Jesus Christ is not a cuss word. His name is the, most, the name above all names, amen? amen? But these words become bad words when they're used in a bad way. Context, the word hell, for instance. You have to be careful. We have to be careful how we use these words. Why? Because the word damned is a sacred word used in the context of what, who God is. Who will be condemned? The word hell is a biblical word. Jesus Christ is the name above all names, as I mentioned. Once you start taking these words and using them in a cavalier way, you trivialize these important words among your kids. If you use the word D-A-M-N and you use the word, you know, H-E-L-L and you just use it all the time as though it's no big deal, you move it out of that which is its holy use to common use. And then the holy use is less effective when you read those words and when your kids read those words. Are you with me? Do you understand what I'm saying? It's like I wouldn't take my wife, if the kids were playing football, we know how you make those little, those little footballs out of paper and you kind of, I don't know if you've done that and you did it when you were in elementary school. I see kids still do that and they'll put up a goalpost and the kid will kick that little, you know, triangular football through the goalpost. They see if we can make it. If, oh, we don't have, oh, let's use mom's ring. Would that be appropriate? Oh, there's a communion wafers that we did communion last night at the house and let's use a communion wafer used as a football. Would that be appropriate? No, it wouldn't be appropriate because those have a certain value to them. You're diminishing their value. Amen? I was praying, Lord, help me illustrate this. Take a couple holy things that are used in an unholy way. And God warns in Acts chapter 10, tells Peter not to call that which is holy common, that he made holy. So we have to watch the words we use that we wouldn't necessarily maybe think are bad in themselves because, oh, the Bible uses the word hell. But I don't go around saying, I'm just going to, you know, 
over there for the blank of it because I don't want to diminish the meaning of that word among my family, among myself, and so forth. These are very, very important points that I think we need to understand. Now, the Bible is very clear, and that's, that's Acts 10, 15. What God has made clean, do not call common. Now, I think it's important that we understand. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes 5, 6, do not let your mouth lead you into sin. And that scripture I was referencing, 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 12, that they might be damned who believe not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. But I can tell you right now, if I'm standing in a group of Christians out there or in my family at the table, and I said, and my wife said something to me, and I said, I don't give a D-A-M-N, that would be inappropriate. Would you agree? Okay, if it's inappropriate for me, well, you're a pastor. Well, you're a Christian. It's inappropriate for you too. Well, I, you can cause people to stumble. You lead people in a bad example. Listen to what God's word says. Hosea chapter four, verses one and two. Hear the word of the Lord, you Israelites, because the Lord has charged to, uh, charged to bring against you who live in the land. There is no faithfulness, no love, no acknowledgement of God in the land. There is only cursing. And that's, I saw a translation, see this cussing, same thing. There's only cursing, lying, and murder, stealing, and adultery. They all break bonds, and bloodshed follows that bloodshed. Man, that cursing or cussing is put right there with lying and murder and stealing and adultery, guys. Ephesians 4.29, let there be no more foul language, but good words instead. Ephesians 5.4, nor is it fitting for you to use language which is obscene, profane, or vulgar, Rather, you should give thanks to God. Good news translation. Colossians chapter 3, 8. Like Ephesians, put on and put off language that Paul uses. Now is the time to cast off and throw away all these rotten garments of anger, hatred, cursing, and dirty language. Amen? James 3.10. For from the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be this way. That's God's word. If you're a Christian, you shouldn't have the same tongue giving forth words of cursing and blessings. You know, my son Josiah was in some kind of discussion uh, with some of the brothers encouraging each other about where's the lines that God draws and, we went and, and a brother was trying to help other people and another brother or something like that to know where the lines were as far as language goes. And, you know, as far as lines go, I want my line to be as close to Jesus as I can. Amen not as far away and close to the edge as I can. But it's interesting. Uh, I don't know the context of the conversation, but Josiah said, I know what I'm gonna say. And I thought it was brilliant. He said, I'm gonna tell them, and he just typed it in, because he was thinking out loud. I'm gonna say, what did Peter do when he was denying Christ, or I'm not exactly how he put it, when he wanted to show people that he had nothing to do with Jesus? What, Jim? He cussed, he used curse words to disassociate himself with Jesus. When you're among people at work or friends that don't know Jesus and you're using curse words, what are you doing? That might not be your, the motivation of your heart, but that's what you're doing. You're disassociating yourself from Christ. Matthew 26, 54 says, Then Peter began to curse and swear with an oath. I don't know the man. Just then the rooster crowed, it says. And Peter remembered that Jesus said, and guess what? When Jesus looked at him, he came out of it from the trial and he saw Jesus, Peter and says Peter wept bitterly. He knew that was wrong. He was convicted. And when we're in the presence of Jesus, and as Christians, we're always in the presence of Jesus. If Jesus came over for dinner at your house, would you start cussing in front of him? That would be really foolish, man. Well, guess what? He's already over for dinner. He said, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone come in, I'll sup. I'll eat dinner with him and him with me. Amen? So if you have Jesus in your heart, he's already there. Stop cussing in the name of Jesus. Don't make excuses. I love Isaiah, man, because he pronounced all these woes on people. Then he goes to the presence of God in Isaiah chapter 6. And he sees the Lord high and lifted up, man. He sees his holy angels flying before God with two, two wings, and two wings are over their feet, and two wings are before their face. They don't dare utter a bad word, but they say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty when they see the train of his robe, right? And, or he sees the train of his robe over the threshold, and the glory of God fills the earth, and he doesn't dare, they don't dare say anything holy unholy. They're saying, holy, holy, holy is Lord God Almighty. Guess what? Isaiah, a holy man of God, was convicted to the heart. And we read, woe is me, says Isaiah. I am ruined because I am a man of unclean lips. Amen. 
and I live among a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Wow. And God didn't say, no, your language doesn't really matter to me, Isaiah. You're a lot more holy than those unholy people that you just pronounced condemnations of woes upon. Don't worry about that, Isaiah. No, guess what we read in the next verse. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar with tongs, and he touched it on my mouth. He touched my mouth with it and said, behold, this has touched your lips, and your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is forgiven. That's serious stuff, guys. I love you, and I encourage you in the name of Jesus to confess before the Lord, woe is me. I've had a potty mouth, Lord. Whether the fear of man or trying to be cool or just didn't change my ways or allow you to sanctify me in this way, please, Lord, sanctify my heart. And there's different motivations people have for using bad language, so I'm not saying you fit this category. You need to go before the Lord yourself for using bad language. Could be anger, could be peer pressure, could be malice, could be bitterness discontentment, whatever it is. I don't know, but we need to make it right with God. And we need to forsake it. We need to confess it. And confess it just doesn't mean say, I'm sorry, Lord, and keep doing it. I love what Proverbs 28, 13 says, he who covers his sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. Amen. And 1 John 1, 9, or 1, 7, if we walk in the light as he's in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And then verse 9, a couple verses later, we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We need to say a prayer. We've talked a lot about what this should look like in the workplace at home and why we ought to be talking. But you need to apply this to your prayer life. Pray this, I love this prayer. Psalm 141 says, set a guard over my mouth, Lord. Keep watch over the door of my lips, amen? Because it says, man, try to grab your tongue, don't do it. Okay, he's gonna shake the wrong person's hand today, okay? But it's slippery, man. We need to guard our hearts and we need to pray, Lord, guard my mouth. And we need to guard our mouths and we need to be watchmen over our mouths, amen? Amen. We need to be people of thanksgiving, no matter what you're going through, no matter how hard things are, you need to trust the Lord and count his many blessings, amen? Because you have so many blessings in your life that you should be enumerating before God and saying, thank you, Jesus, thank you, Jesus, thank you, Jesus. Instead of being, having filthy speech, we need to be having speech of thanksgiving, amen? Speech of prayer. We need to be praise God for one another. You know what I try to do? If I hear someone talking bad about someone, I'll like, you know, unless it's something that needs to be addressed and I, and I say, hey, go to that person, you know? If, if yeah, that's, go to that person. Matthew 5, Matthew 18. Do the biblical steps. Or, but if it's just kind of in a way that's kind of, I'll try to find something because you can usually do it. Good about that person. I'll say, but you know what I love about that person? Just throw that in there. Because say it's like on the line, you're not sure if it's gospel or not. I'll say, I love this about that person. And there's all kinds of things. I know a lot of people here and I love so many things about so many people, you know. Everybody's got good qualities, you know. Uh, We need to try to be uplifting. We need to be people of thanksgiving. And then I read this story. It tripped me out, man. While on a short-term missions trip in 1996, Pastor Jack Hinton from New Bern, North Carolina, was leading a worship at a, leading worship at a leper calling because we talked about how we're all lepers. And it was only one of the lepers that came back and gave thanks to Jesus, amen? And we all are lepers that have been healed, amen? We were estranged. We were falling apart. We were being deteriorated. We stunk. All those things that happens with lepers, we were blind as they go blind and so forth. And he's on the short term mission trip in leper colony in Tobango. There was a time for one more song. So he asked anyone had a request. A woman who had been facing away from the pulpit turned around. Quote, it was the most hideous face I'd ever seen, Hinton said. The woman's nose and ears were entirely gone. The disease had destroyed her lips as well. She lifted a fingerless hand in the air and asked, can we sing Count your many blessings. Overcome with emotion, Hinton left the service. He was followed by a team member who said, Jack, I guess you'll never be able to sing that song again. Yes, I will, Jack replied, but I'll never sing it in the same way. We are the lepers. We have been healed. We should be gushing forth with praise and thanksgiving to our incredible God, amen? 
We should not be using the tongues he's given us to glorify him, right? To speak evil and to tear down one another and hurt each other and use bad language, amen? And to do coarse jesting, amen? Can we all bow our hearts before the Lord and confess our sin before him? And even if you think, man, I'm perfect, say, Lord, forgive me for thinking I'm perfect. And confess that and then say, Lord, help me be more holy like Jesus. Let's pray. Just cry out to the Lord in your own way that there'd be a real change. Don't be a spiritual wimp. Be bold for Jesus and speak to his glory. Father, I confess my own sin of still as a ripe, a ripe, getting riper old age, Lord, as a pastor for many years, I still have times where I'm like, oh, that didn't come out right, or I shouldn't have said that. Forgive me my sins. Forgive all of us our sins. Help us purify our hearts, Father. We confess them. We forsake them. Help us to be more like Jesus. Touch our tongues as you did Isaiah's by the fire of your Holy Spirit and cleanse us by the precious blood of Jesus and fill our hearts with thanksgiving and love and help us to build one another up and not tear each other down and encourage one another daily in Jesus' name. And Father, I pray if there's anybody here who's like, wow, I'm living a perverse life and I have a perverse mouth and I didn't really care and I need to be born again, come to Jesus right now and say, Lord, have mercy on me. I believe that you died for me. I believe you rose again. I confess you as my Lord. And you said if I believe in my heart that, 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 that you rose again, I confess in my mouth that Jesus, Lord, I'll be saved. I confess him as my Lord. Change my heart that you might also change my mouth and my entire life. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise God. Can we all please rise? We're gonna pass up.